now. What a fantastic crowd, and uh, we are looking forward to a very interesting morning. Um, I wanted to quickly go over a few things. Uh, so at the end, uh, there will be some time for a little bit of Q&A. I will be running around with a mic, and if you just raise your hand, uh, Rebecca at the back will also probably have a mic. Uh, so feel free to raise your hand, and we'll get to as many people as we can. Uh, to make this morning possible, uh, we have a few sponsors. Uh, the Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement is uh, supported this morning. Bill Callery, uh, I think, is in the audience uh, from CFHI. Uh, Accenture as well. Uh, Sandra Culver is here. Uh, Deloitte, uh, Jason Garry is uh, also in the audience. Uh, Hirok, Catherine Galton, I think she made it. Uh, Life Labs, Joel Fung and a few others. And uh, as well, Navari, John Sinclair. NRC Health was uh, with Ron Carklin. Um, uh, and this morning wouldn't be possible without the support of Rotman. Uh, so thank you very much to Rotman. I would like to personally thank uh, Rosemary Hannum. And if you have not met Rosemary, she's up here at the front. Uh, she is a person you should get to know, so feel free to introduce yourself to Rosemary at any time. And as well, uh, the more people I meet, the happier I am, and I love to hear your story, so feel free to introduce yourself to me. But you are not here to hear from me. You are here to hear from Susan and Brian. So without any further delay, Susan Fitzpatrick and Brian Golden. Great. Well, welcome everyone to the Rodman School. I'm Brian Golden, the Vice Dean of our MBA programs and also the Executive Director of the Sandra Rodman Center for Health Sector Strategy. I'm especially pleased that we're able to host all of you uh, this week. This is the final week of our Global Executive MBA in Healthcare and Life Sciences. And that program uh, with our students here uh, today uh, uh, occurs uh, in Toronto, uh, London, UK, starting this year, in Singapore and the San Francisco area. And the purpose of that program is to break down silos across health systems globally. Uh, so I can't think of a better topic uh, than today's uh, focus on integration in healthcare. Uh, I've had the good pleasure of working with Susan over the years. Uh, you know, we have her most recent former title here, uh, former CEO of uh, OH, um, but uh, also former Associate Deputy Minister of Health, uh, former CEO of the Toronto Central Inn. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation with Susan. Susan, we'll start off uh, with some comments and then we'll have a, a bit of a chat. So Susan, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm really uh, pleased to be able to speak to everyone today. Uh, when I started at Ontario Health in April of 2019, I think midway through the year, Matt Hart and I had a discussion about whether I'd talk about my experience at Ontario Health. So uh, as I transitioned out of that uh, 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 interim CEO role and welcomed uh, Matt Anderson into the role, we were saying, well, you know, should we still be doing the breakfast with the chiefs? But we decided we would uh, continue with that. I will speak a little bit about Ontario Health, but really what I'm going to focus on is my journey with integration uh, and how I have seen the system integrate over uh, a long period of time. So I'm just looking here. I've got this. 
So uh, Matt and I decided our title would be Integrated Care, the Past, the Present, and the Future. Uh, for the first time in many, many years, I am not affiliated with any organizations. <laughs> I do not have to send my remarks in for vetting. Uh, but having said that, I'm very optimistic about the healthcare system. Uh, I have had a wonderful front row seat on the, the uh, changes to the healthcare system. And I'd like to share that with you. Uh, we'll have plenty of time for discussion. Uh, Brian and I will have a Q&A. He asked me if there's any questions that he couldn't ask, but I said, no, go ahead, we'll uh, open it up. So if you'll recall, uh, in 2018, I did speak at the breakfast with the chiefs, uh, and I presented on integrated health delivery systems. At that time, my focus was, what is the LINS role? And uh, at, in that uh, presentation, I talked about the future state will change how we allocate funding uh, to match population need, facilitate integrations to achieve delivery networks, submit collaborative QIPs to HQO, report on health outcomes at the uh, sub-region level, manage a single accountability agreement, and provide one simple and coordinated access for care. This is the slide I presented at that time, one needs-based funding allocation, one locally integrated service delivery network with one collaborative QIP, one publicly reported population and health uh, scorecard, one outcome-based accountability agreement. I think at that time when I proposed one accountability agreement, there was a little bit of a sigh in the audience. And then the service provider, one simple and coordinated access system for care. So um, I'm basically still on that track. And I wanted to just kind of recall, I know people in the room, you have a lot of experience with integrated care, but what is it? So it's networks of organizations that provide or arrange to provide a con coordinated continuum of services to a defined population and are willing to be held clinically and fiscally accountable for the outcomes and the health status of the population. I have a little bit about the characteristics, but it's a focus on community, matching capacity, coordinating, uh, has information systems that link provides information to multiple stakeholders, uses financial incentives and organizational structure, uh, continuously improves, and is able and willing to work with others. And I just recap that so you'll see as I go through my integration journey why that is important. Uh, and what, is, what are the different types of integration? And I like this uh, presentation uh, in terms of uh, Valentijan, I think is how you pronounce the person's name. And she took, he or she took all the, uh, the writings on integration and came out with a comprehensive approach. So there's integration at systems level, which we're trying to do, but there's also organizational integration, professional integration, clinical integration. Uh, functional integration, and then um, terms that you'll be familiar with, vertical integration, horizontal integration. Um, you don't need to pick up all the information from the diagram, but I mean, I think the point to leave you with is that integration is best pursued at multiple levels within a system in order to facilitate con continuous comprehensive and coordinated delivery. 
So this was a challenge. I'm doing my own uh, PowerPoint decks now. <laughs> so tell me whether you like it. <laughs> so what is integration in the Ontario context? And I wanted to call out to you uh, key milestones over the past 15 years. And when I was looking at that time frame, I thought I could have probably backed up a little bit more. But I really did want to start with family health teams. I think as many of you know, I spent about 20 years negotiating with the OMA. Uh, and we did a lot of work on uh, primary care and family health teams. So I've, I'll speak about that. Uh, moving forward to the Ontario Renal Network, uh, QBPs and bundled payments, uh, health links, sub-regions, uh, the Lynn CCAC integration. I see some home care people here with us today. And then finally, my uh, work at Ontario Health Agency. Uh, the family health teams, and I'm, part of this presentation really is to get a, con, uh, a bit of a construct for the dialogue that will follow. But basically, the family health teams uh, brought together health professionals. They didn't work in teams at the time that was created. I will give a call out for the CHCs, uh, a small model across the province. But uh, with the creation of the family health teams, in a very mainstream way, we started to coordinate services with healthcare professionals across the continuum. Uh, there's now uh, 184 uh, family health teams that serve 3 million people. And why is it important? And I'm sure you know this. I mean, we can't reach full health system integration if we don't have primary care involved. Uh, next, the Ontario Renal Network. Um, this was a major agreement with uh, CCO. And I think, you know, the significance, again, we brought together people, structures, processes, and programs into one entity, one organization to focus on the special needs of the chronic kidney disease population. And most importantly, we did that within a model that had been tried in Cancer Care Ontario. Can it be replicated? Yes. And so that model has been highly successful for bringing together integrated care around a disease state. Uh, Quality-based procedures. Uh, again, starting to integrate care across a continuum by using common practices, best practices. I traveled around to many of the hospitals that were implementing quality-based procedures, and it was fantastic to see the teams of care all focusing and aligning on one set of, uh, of uh, best practices. Uh, bundled payment. You know, quickly following uh, quality-based procedures, we came into bundled payment. St. Joe's Hamilton, Kevin Smith pioneered that approach and really started to manage care, uh, actually coming into the hospital and then being discharged from the hospital. So it was a seamless continuum of care. And uh, it really challenged how do we bring together funding across silos. And I did work with that. It's not easy because uh, that program, of course, showed that some of the benefits were not in the, in the direct services, but in their impact on the health system. Uh, health links, uh, coordinating access across organizations to link up care. And I think there's a few really uh, uh, important milestones with health links. Uh, I was in the Lynn shortly afterwards, but it really brought together providers that had never spoken to each other, didn't know each other. 
Uh, they work down the street. So the beginning of that relationship approach, the health providers getting together, we have to work together to develop a coordinated care plan with our patients. And I would say health links also really kicked off the, uh, the focus on the patient has to be involved in the patient's care. So that is the past. I'm going to talk a little bit about the present. Um, the so subregions, and I kind of toyed a little bit, you know, is there something really to say about subregions? But I would say my journey in the Lynn was it started to bring the focus of health links on individual patients to communities. Uh, when people working in health links looked at what they needed to do to support those patients, they quickly started looking at the communities those people were living in. So uh, there was, I think, a, a pretty intense focus on what do the communities look like. And Sarah Downey's in the audience, but I know in the East subregion, we had all kinds of spreadsheets and placemats, and we you know, knew everything about the people that live there. So I think it really did start to, to get the health system, health service providers focusing on community. The Lynn CCAC integration, I've seen at least one person here from the former CCAC. You know, I think that was uh, an attempt to bring key function activities uh, together to add value. And I guess what I would say on that, if I look back and say what really was important, what's the milestone there? One, it created a focus on co home care and integration brought together. Uh, and, you know, I, I pose a question, and I think it's still an open question, what can happen when home care is more directly linked to primary care and community health service providers? So it really started to expand our notion of who provides home care. Uh, the Lynn uh, Health Service Provider Integrations, you know, this is work that was being done at the local level. Just leave you uh, with the, uh, the, the kind of the metrics. There's 1,800 health service providers, and they have budgets as small as about $100,000. I don't know, Stephanie's here, whether we even had some that were smaller than that but also had a billion dollars. So we were bringing health service providers in. We had such a wide range of organizational skills and talent. Uh, and I think if you look at, uh, in, uh, we had in Toronto 180 service providers in five sub-regions, you do the math. To try to integrate a system with that many providers is going to be very difficult. Um, and we know that is a little bit of a, of a uh, challenge for uh, people in the community, so we don't just talk about organizational structure and structural integration. We talk about coordination, structured collaboration, uh, programs being operated together. But it really, again, is a sense that we need to work together. We need to integrate the care around the patient. Uh, Ontario Health, merger of 20 uh, agencies, uh, key support functions and activities are coordinated across operating units to uh, add the greatest value. Um, just a little bit on the metrics, you know, I think people have said, well, why do this? Uh, but there's 20 health agencies. I live that over my nine months with Ontario Health, all with their own strategies, their own way of operating. Um, and I think, you know, there's uh, some synergy that can be found when that's brought together. 
Uh, you know, there was 180, 140 sites, almost 12,000 staff, uh, a, big, a large operating budget, $25 billion in transfer payments, 2,000 plus digital assets. And I did want to talk a little bit about digital, but I probably won't get there. Uh, 2,000 patient and caregiver advisors. So when we bring that together, I think we can start to kind of redesign what is the perfect system. I do on the side have the home care program because we know, you know, what is the future of home care is, uh, is you know, still being written, shall we say. Uh, and there's been re recent announcements. Um, but the home care program, you know, is close to $2 billion uh, annually. Uh, with, uh, uh, you know, about 900 million in home care operations, 7,000 staff. So it's a big program. Uh, and then finally, I just kind of, my thinking on the future, I want to leave you with population health, uh, healthy neighborhoods, thriving neighborhoods. You've seen this slide. I firmly believe we can't look at the health of the population by just dealing with health care. Uh, we really need to start looking at the creative uh, partnerships across uh, many different sectors. I have an interesting slide we did uh, with work with the City of Toronto uh, in developing an MOU. And we looked at social services, social determinants, the public health infrastructure, air, water, waste, sanitation, transportation. Those are all factors of impacting health. Health promotion and community health services and then institutional health. Uh, so we know um, if we can bring all that together, we're going to have a healthier population is uh, what we're uh, wanting to do. And I have just kind of called out a few, uh, a few uh, initiatives underway. UHN has an important uh, MOU uh, with the city and United Way to develop some uh, social housing in the Parkdale area. The inner city uh, health care associates provides services to the shelter system. Uh, and there's lots of work going on that is trying is having the healthcare meet up with other partners to look at the social aspects. So, on just my closing remarks, and I think Brian, I've pretty well kept to my uh, time frame. I didn't uh, specifically put in a slide on Ontario health teams, but I think as you go through that journey and you see the Ontario Health Team Initiatives 24 OHT in the first cohort, is uh, the great excitement that that initiative can do to bring all these pieces together and keep pushing forward. Uh, and that's uh, why I'm very hopeful that the system will continue to integrate, will continue to provide better connected services to patients. So with that, I will join Brian. Um, that was quite a walk down memory lane. It um, makes me think how old I am. Oh, uh, yeah, memories or, yeah, memories is a nice way of describing it sometimes. Uh, it's clear that healthcare time is a different kind of time uh, than others. And I recall as you were talking about uh, primary care and just making the um, connection to OHTs. 
when we, when David Price and I and several others probably in this room were doing the work for uh, primary care for you, I think it started around 2015 and then wondering, well, is this ever going to get off the shelf? And it, clearly it has. Um, we did not get a lot of um, uh, fan letters from the Ontario Medical Association. Uh, and that always surprised us because our view was that uh, physicians should have actually been very pleased uh, by what we were proposing. So we think the only people who really disliked the report were those who hadn't read it. But because we, we, we talk very much about physician leadership. Uh, can you share with us, you know, in the context of primary care, how you think physician leaders will play, how physicians will play a leadership role in the emerging OHTs? I think, you know, the primary care physician leadership has really evolved over uh, 15 years. When I look at uh, the, you know, really family practice being largely solo practitioner and what we have today, and many of the, uh, the primary care uh, leaders, some have emerged from FITS, but actually are showing provincial leadership in developing these various models have been instrumental on the OHTs uh, and are really contributing. And I think if we hadn't put the, uh, the family health team model in place, we might not have seen that leadership evolve. So I think it's, uh, it, it's uh, been a great model for that. And I will also um, say I'm a big fan of the impact of the health links. And I think if you go back over the 15 years and you look at what are the sentinel things that really change the way we look at healthcare, um, health links really opened up the ability for primary care leadership to take charge of how care was gonna be coordinated, working very closely with home care. So those two really important um, uh, I would say sectors coming together was, uh, was really uh, uh, an important uh, milestone uh, from HealthLinks. So let me um, pick up uh, on that a bit. Uh, I know one of the concerns that was raised a few years back and possibly is still today is that with the connection of primary care and acute care often connected to large hospitals in the region, that primary care will still be drowned out by the acute care sector. Uh, and do you have a sense of how that balance, the, the ideal balance can be achieved between primary care, home care, uh, public health, and acute care without the big mega organizations dominating when we know that primary care is essential to a high performing health system? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I would say if we look at all the keys of success for integration, we have to have professional engagement and buy-in to the changes. I think there's different ways for uh, primary care to be significant within those uh, new structures that are emerging. Um, in the East, there is, a, I, I think, a, a group of primary care physicians from that area that you know, came together themselves to organize how they want to participate. So I, I feel that primary care is going to start to figure that out. Uh, because when they're um, together, they will be a powerful voice and they'll uh, really reflect that clinical view of the service. Okay. Uh, maybe one last question on, on this before we move on to others. So in your role, I assume as both um, CEO of OH, but also certainly as Associate Deputy Minister, you had an opportunity to see the variation in health system organization you know, from Toronto to Kingston uh, to Thunder Bay and then to much smaller communities. 
What did you observe? What kind of variation did you observe in the effectiveness of integration across the province? Uh, you know, Toronto is a very special place, uh, but it's not typical of the rest of the province. Uh, can you share some of your observations there? Um, I think you know people have said, well, Toronto is probably the hardest place to integrate. I feel it's probably the most exciting uh, place to integrate care. But if you look in, you know, smaller sized communities, we have examples where care is almost completely integrated. So, you know, you could have one family health team. Like I think, you know, some of the areas that have great integration are Peterborough, Guelph, different organizations. Mm -hmm. And again, where primary care has really come together to show some uh, leadership. So, there's definitely uh, variation. I think there's you know great initiatives in the north. They were quite far ahead of yeah. fully integrating services, uh, you know, long-term care, hospital, primary care, uh, home care. So there's models across the province. Um, I guess you know part of the question for Toronto is, you know, what is the integration model? And mm -hmm. I'm not actually sure what that is at this point but i think everyone's working very hard to say how do we you know really bring those services together with patient and family advisory groups this is what they come back to us all the time saying you know it's impossible to navigate from hospital to hospital provider to provider although there's definitely uh, signs of improvement and that, that was a little bit on the digital at least starts sharing the records electronically across the the various sectors yeah, so it strikes me, I spent some time up in the Northwest Lynn, and one of the advantages they have is sometimes long-term care is actually in the acute care setting. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the primary care leaders are also the hospital yeah, leaders. Yeah, so yeah. people wear multiple hats, and that makes integration a heck of a lot easier yeah, yeah. than when we've got our roles in our bounded organizations. Yeah. Well, I would just say, Brian, it is a little bit, you know, when you look at what integration is about, so much of it is the relationships. Yeah. And I think some of the literature shows, you know, if government tries to mandate or force yeah. that, that can have um, unforeseen consequences. But when people have strong relationships and they develop trust, they want to build yeah. that. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And I suspect that's why it does take longer than you know, a plan on paper would have us believe for that integration to really emerge and to be robust when there aren't uh, formal systems mandating that integration. Maybe I can um, shift gears to talk about some really good examples of specialized service integration. Uh, you mentioned the renal network, uh, cancer, cardiac. How do you see these kinds of very specialized service programs uh, connecting uh, the patient across the fuller continuum? I mean, I think that those programs are highly successful. We have um, excellent metrics uh, comparing uh, internationally. So we certainly have to preserve that success. And I think that's some work that the OHTs will start looking at as they look at the services within the OHT geography and boundaries. How do they connect with the more highly specialized uh, services? When I was at the Lynn, we did a little bit of work to look at how do the specialist services fit in with uh, that kind of primary and secondary care. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's work left to be done on that, but it, it could be seen as, uh, you know, MOUs, relationships, hub, hub and spoke. Mm -hmm. But I don't 
believe that every OHT should be trying to replicate an, you know, an individual cancer program or cardiac program, but they will want to have you know, perhaps some of that skill within their OHT, but then uh, be able to uh, reach out into the provincial program. Okay. So maybe um, I'll pick up on this idea of OHTs learning as new organizations and the replication. So we have nearly 30 OHTs today. And my sense is that they are, many of them are learning individually. Uh, they're progressing at different speeds. They will have different resources. And in a truly integrated system, we would expect that the highest performers have the opportunity and the mechanisms to share their successes. And equally, when, when there are problems uh, for any of the OHGs, as there inevitably will be, we have an opportunity to learn from those so we don't replicate those problems. Do you have a sense, and these are still early days, of how we will uh, facilitate the learning of both the positive and the negatives over the next few years, uh, especially for the OHTs? Well, I think there's, um, you know, I'm not a, an expert on it by any means, but the province has done a lot to try to put in new platforms that will allow that collaboration and sharing of learnings. And I do like the uh, early stages of the OHTs to be learning and to be sharing. You know, at some point you might want to put in a little bit more um, structure or uh, requirement of the OHT model, but in the early days, we really need to look at how is that uh, that functioning. Okay. So that that's a bit different than my recollection of the uh, the HealthLinks experience, yes. where we said let a thousand flowers bloom and will allow, in fact, encourage variation. Uh, from my, from my perspective, we allowed that variation till the very end. Yes. Uh, how do you, what lessons do you think we learned from HealthLinks for OHTs? I think, you know, I, I was showing kind of a 15-year kind of journey continuum, and I do feel like HealthLinks opened up the relationships, the innovation, the ability locally for people to try to figure things out. Uh, and they created that. And I think, you know, going into kind of sub-regions and then OHTs, people are kind of continuing a journey. And I think, you know, we get back some feedback. Uh, you know, the low rules is good, but a little bit of structure is good too. So how do you get that balance? And who decides on that balance? Well, I guess uh, it's probably a, a combination. Mm -hmm. uh, people give lots of... Uh, feedback to the government and the government uh, takes that uh, feedback and, and assesses it. I mean, I think the, you know, the main point is that we have a common interest. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to do, uh, to deliver health care a little bit better to the patients or clients that we are uh, responsible for. We all want that and we, you know, perhaps see different ways of achieving that. So still on health links. Um Massive variation, uh, which was actually quite important because the the regions differ significantly as well. What do you think were the greatest contributions of HealthLink? I know there have been formal reviews, and you've had the opportunity to travel the province and, and work with many of them. Uh, what were the greatest contributions, and what did we learn? Well, I think I, I have kind of said one of them is the development of the relationships because I think that really started the journey that is in place today. I mean, I think if you go back and study the OHTs and see are these uh, collaborators and partners that maybe first got together in the early uh, health links days, 
uh, and then continued through. So I would say um, it really strengthened the relationship uh, uh, part of, uh, of integration. Uh, people got to know each other, they got to trust each other. But I also think it really brought uh, primary care right into the kind of into the fold in terms of being a success. Um, it, uh, Lynn's had primary care leadership in place. Uh, primary care had a lot of influence mm -hmm. uh, with health links and with how subregions should be developed. Okay. On, on the um, this idea of uh, integration related uh, away from acute care and, and maybe even a bit more away from primary care, We've seen a great need for integration around social services and public health. And we, we started the week here in our, uh, in our healthcare Jimba program uh, with a panel on the coronavirus. And one of the most striking uh, you know, messages there was still how fragmented we are and the division between public health and healthcare, with some arguing that that's an important uh, division and some arguing that makes no sense at all. Uh, can you talk about the role of social services and public health uh, in a, an effective integrated system two, three years from now? Yeah, I mean, I think they're very, very important. When I was at the Toronto Central and we work care, uh, very closely with uh, public health, and I think it is a key partner in the system. I think perhaps one of the, uh, the um, things to think about is as you get cr greater integration and collaboration, does it have to be a structural um, uh, integration? Mm -hmm. And public health has, you know, I think provided feedback back that that's not the model they want. But as I showed on one of my charts on integrations, they can be very many different ways of integrating. And I think, you know, the next step on a lot of these, uh, these closer collaborations would be MOUs and partnership agreements. I think that is with the city the municip or the municipality public health, the health service providers. And I, I do feel that that is pretty strongly in moving forward, and I've talked about the importance of the social services in the future, that the public health piece absolutely has to be a focal area for improvement. And I'm not um, sure how many of the OHTs have uh, got strong public health partnership, mm -hmm. but I think that would be something to really uh, leverage. There, there are many people in this, in this room who have been both optimistic of the LINs when they were introduced and the subregions today and OH, and, but also critical that in many cases, and this is not unique to Ontario, health systems attempt to integrate services by redrawing the lines on the organizational chart and say we're now integrated, we've got common accountability. But the reality is that it's not only the relationships, but it's other systems. It's, um, uh, it's information systems to share knowledge. It's reward systems and, and common fiscal accountability, which you, you referred to. And I recall when we were doing the work on primary care, you know, during very sensitive times in negotiations between the ministry and the OMA, the idea was we want to get closer collaboration with primary care and the rest of the system, but we couldn't touch funding. And for good reasons at that time. But I've always argued that if you really want um, integrated care and cooperation, you not only have to change the boxes and the lines on the chart, but you actually have to have common interests created. And that does require uh, a common bundle of funds. Uh, 
Can you talk about how reward systems or funding models need to change in order to get the true integration, uh, as well as the, um, the information systems that need to be uh, there to support the structural changes? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, like, throughout the last number of years, people, you know, there's kind of a school of thought that we're not going to get to full integration unless we can change the physician compensation models. I don't think that's necessary. I think you can leave the physician compensation models to be negotiated between the medical association and the province because I think the real uh, incentives or rewards uh, for physicians to work in an integrated system is everything else. So if, uh, if the compensation is clear for physicians and then they understand what is the value proposition from working within an integrated system, which is huge. I mean, it can, can be basic infrastructure, it can be relationships, it can be uh, referrals, it can be connected to uh, uh, services across a continuum, it can be IT. There's lots of things that would, uh, would actually be an advantage for a, for a physician to be working in that system. And I do, um, I was reflecting a little bit on the Kaiser Permanente model, that there uh, you have Kaiser and then you have kind of the Permanente group, which is the physician group that organizes itself and then has a sole agreement with the Kaiser organization. So, you know, I think you can look at how we can create integration without mm -hmm. saying we're going to fundamentally change the dynamics between the provincial government and the Ontario Medical Association. When I was at the Lynn, we asked primary care physicians to come to town halls. And they're, you know, going, well, why, you know, should we come to anything that the Lynn is having? And we had lists of all the things that we were offering, whether it was scope or, you know, different access to services. And they were saying, well, why did, didn't we know anything about mm -hmm. this? So that's a little bit about how I would start yeah. uh, talking to uh, physicians. Great. And I would say to your credit, you invested as CEO of the Toronto Central Lynn quite a bit in developing the capabilities and bringing primary care leaders together. And I know in that room, you know, their opportunity to both develop and share their experiences was really powerful and it showed a real investment from the Lynn. Maybe one last question before we open it up uh, to questions from the audience. Um, uh, you know, again, we are, we are in a business school, so I will end with financial incentives. Um, <laughs> And maybe if you can talk a little bit about whether the financial incentives around bundled care and uh, quality-based procedures are the right incentives. We've had some time, a few years at least, to experiment and to learn. Uh, what have we learned about that? What have you learned about that? And are the financial incentives aligned to get both system uh, priorities um, to the top and as well to satisfy caregivers? Well, I think that, you know, the financial incentives in quality-based procedures and the bundled care, um, I think are putting a focus on the kind of the standardization of the model, uh, the delivery of care, and for the providers that are coming together, allows them to benefit from the rewards, whether they be upstream or downstream. It's not the same system, perhaps, that we see in ACOs or potentially in OHTs mm -hmm. where there could be actually a gain sharing. Uh, but when I look at QBPs and we first started saying, you know, there's a standard, uh, um, a standard pathway for care and, you know, you're going to really, the whole calculation of the funding is going to be on a five-day uh, inpatient stay. And people were saying, now I'm getting that 
payment for a service where my hospital maybe is doing it in 10 days or 15 days, people had to change. And you can see very drastic mm -hmm. changes in how a cataract, hip and knee, a lot of these elective procedures, even stroke care. Yeah. So that really uh, had folk, uh, people bring the clinical and the financial together and say, how do we uh, optimize the care delivery? Yeah. So uh, I think they are excellent models. I'd like to see more bundled care. I, I love this idea of gain sharing and to hear uh, government and OH uh, recognizing that there is incredible brilliance in the system. And when you can turn that brilliance loose to say, how can we make our patients better off, the system better off, and actually me and my group better off uh, together, and we'll share those benefits, that's, uh, that's a wonderful equation. Matt, are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. So uh, we have a few minutes uh, for some Q&A. I have a mic, and then Rebecca at the back has one as well. Um, and so if you raise your hands, we'll go from this side to that side to this side to that side until we run out of time at 9 o'clock on the nose. Um, and Rebecca's ready to go at the back. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, just wanted to uh, ask you about integration uh, of uh, digital integration. Uh, we talked about more than 2,000 systems with um, digital systems within Ontario Health itself, and think about other agencies and how many digital properties and systems we have. How important it is to have integrated healthcare um, uh, to have integrated digital system, yeah, and, and what is in the place for us to in the future. Yeah. I think it's a, an excellent point, and I I did want to. Um, put in the presentation a little commentary on that because on integrated systems, one of the integration features is an integrated IT system and an ability to share. And I think that's a huge frustration in Ontario that we have invested a lot in IT systems across various sectors, but we're not able to share. So I would hope in the next you know five or ten years that we can do a much, much better a job of connecting and that's something you know perhaps OH is going to take a, a leadership role on. Uh, I think you know the kind of the culture has to change and there's probably maybe IT people uh, in the audience but we don't need to keep proliferating uh, new systems. We have to figure out how we're connecting the existing systems. You know there's a little subtext there that I think the government is uh, you know preparing to uh, deal with and that's uh, privacy. Uh, because even when we have all the information, we can't easily share it. So to get to true integration, we have to have those connected systems, and we have to be able to share that information, not with just with health service providers, uh, but with patients, communities. The information has to be, uh, be ready to kind of flow. Hi, um, I just have a, a question about, we have been talking about integrated care for eons, and uh, there was one dis uh, point that was made about how we kind of take the organizational chart and try to integrate everything, understand the importance of uh, IT funding, everything. This time, the impetus that we are hearing is about, so that it is easier for patients to navigate the uh, system, family members to navigate the system. What is going to be different this time from what we have done in the last 20 years so that the integration also happens from the lens of patient and family? I mean, I think it's, you know, when I reflect back, I think we have been evolving. 
I think, you know, generally people in Ontario healthcare get frustrated with the slow progress, but it's progress nonetheless. And I think uh, we'll see those lessons that we've learned uh, through the last number of years carrying forward into OHTs. So allowing a lot of local collaboration and relationships to find solutions and absolutely requiring that it has to be with the, uh, the patients, the families, and the community working to, uh, to find those solutions. I firmly believe that you know, the design of the system as we go forward has to be co-designed with the, the family, uh, families, patients, and communities. So that will be, I think, um, you know, a piece that will propel this next uh, integration of integration forward. Hi, I'm Kathy Kastner, and I'm a patient advisor. Oh, great. So I was thrilled to see us up there. Um, on the topic of uh, digital connectivity, um, I wonder what your thoughts are on the future of getting our healthcare providers to have secure emails. Asking for Will Falk. Are, are you asking for Will? Because I, I was going to say, don't they already have secure email? We have one, uh, one mail. So uh, again, you know, my experience in uh, Toronto Central Inn was to provide a lot of you know, hands-on support to get the secure email in place. Like you have busy primary care practices, like when we met uh, with uh, eHealth and uh, I think um, it was HSSO at the time, and we looked at what the, the physicians had to do to get the secure email. It was a lot. It took, I think, 60 or 90 days of work. So people just said, you know, this is too hard. Like if we can go into Apple and just click on something, you know, and get it all organized. And there's been progress. Uh, but secure email is available, and I think it's really the support to really uh, uh, support people to get onto that system. Hi, good morning. I work for a medical device manufacturer, and I'm just wondering, um, you know, in the spirit of uh, integration, uh, has there been any thought to uh, integrated procurement. So procurement right now you know, focuses on products or procedures. You know, with, the, with the formation of the Ontario Health Teams, are they going to start procuring for patient pathways? Well, the, uh, the government's um, announced priority is supply chain management in a very significant scale, and that will be something Ontario Health will take a strong leadership role so all the reports on supply chain management suggest to me that in the, the next number of years there'll be a much more focused uh, provincial approach. I use an example from my experience, and that is uh, with home care, that there's like 14 different agreements with, uh, with medical, supply, uh, medical suppliers for home care when um, clearly that could be brought forward into kind of a pro provincial procurement. So that's just work that needs to be done, but I would say uh, more uh, focus on uh, provincial procurement and really getting kind of the savings. And you know, part of the savings again is uh, to invest in frontline care. Uh, we know that we have an aging population, there's significant needs, and we have to have the funding uh, directed into the day-to-day the -day care. 
Great. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate this conversation, the goal of integration, which I think is dear to the heart of a lot of providers and organizations. Um, and I appreciate the conversations you had, the questions you had earlier about the David and Goliath scenarios and how do you actually bring different partners who weren't working together together in a way that actually allows them to give their best value and not be drowned out in the conversations. So I had the chance of being involved in the earlier health links and regional mm -hmm. conversations at TC Lynn. Um, and it was, a, as you mentioned, it's very much a place where the initial primary care engagement voice first developed, I think, which is really good. Now that we're looking at these entire health teams, which is a much higher degree of in investment, involvement yeah. in primary care uh, leadership there, um, it can't be done off the side of the table. So how do we actually support and enable the capacity for a much deeper level of operational involvement of primary care in the in the achieving the goals of, of health teams? I mean, I think that's, you know, an important question to be worked out. And there's, you know, there's many different models of how people are compensated. And obviously people that are in salary salary jobs or even capitation models have some more flexibility as to what they do kind of on their day-to-day. -day. Uh, I think, you know, the, the province will probably look at what, you know, needs to be done to support the models. I mean, I would say there's lots of capacity within the system for redeployment. I mean, when you run large organizations uh, like I have, you often cannot go forward and say, I need more money. You know, you have to say, uh, I'm going to redeploy staff. I'm going to, you know, take my best staff. I'm going to... Uh, reassign them and, you know, uh, give a lower priority to something. If you honestly believe that Ontario health teams are the priority for the province, then, you know, look at the uh, shared resources across the partners and start picking off your top people. Hi, it's Patricia Sullivan-Taylor with Accreditation Canada and Health Standards Organization. First of all, thank you, Susan and Brian, and thank you, Longwoods, for hosting this session. I think it's uh, well-timed. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, we are in the process, so accreditation uh, in Ontario is actually somewhat different than it is in other jurisdictions across Canada. It's much more system focused in other jurisdictions and here it's been much more organization focused. Um, that we're trying to shift that um, and I think OHTs will help do that. I'm curious from your perspective, so we've got a standard, an integrated people-centered care standard that's coming out this year as well as some other tool sets. What advice do you have for how Accreditation Canada and Health Standards Organization can help move um, the you know move us along on that journey um, so that we're not focused on quality within organizations but we're focused on quality across OHTs and across the system? Well, I think it's you know been recognized by Accreditation Canada for the last number of years. When I was at the Lynn, you know, I spoke to Leslie about um, looking at an accreditation that might accredit a whole health service providers for a sub-region, so that's the way to go. I mean, I think there is value, you know, at an organizational level on the accreditation. We went through it at the Lynn for the home care program, so, you know, at the organizational level, you can be kind of assured as hospitals are, the basic uh, pieces are in place. But I think, uh, you know, with the OHTs, when you're looking at how are the, the all the partners working together, then you're going to be looking at different uh, areas that you want to see the accreditation. And I think, you know, some early thinking uh, has been shown in the OHT applications uh, because it's asking, um, you know, how are the providers working together? How are patients being involved? All those types of questions. Hi. Um, do I have to stand up? 
Hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> so my name is Ariag. I'm a family physician. Um, I'm also part of the Gemba HLS. Um, I'm also leading the North Halton Ontario Health Team, which is a primary care-led OHT. Um, when we came together, we understand, I love the idea for the ministry, like a creative destructive kind of idea. We came together and we said, we want to know what the world we live in looks like. Yeah. Right? I mean, I know like healthcare for us, it's very archaic. So when we came together, we said, okay, let's design a system that works for not just us, but we will be proud of it for like the next 10 years. People are gonna basically inherit it. Mm -hmm. And we also raised the bar also for patients mm -hmm. who are gonna be advisors. We said we want influencers because we can't keep kind of doing the same thing over and over again. We came up with amazing things. Then the ministry has been really awesome. Like when they're talking about IT, we have DAPASOF that came in and is linking interfaces. So things are happening. Yeah. My question to the ministry, as in, like, we're not hospital, we have partnerships with the hospital, but we're a new idea. It's an incubational, like a, you know, a petri dish. What kind of political will is there to support our model as we are going forward? Because we went to, I went to Kaiser Permanente. I have an understanding of a primary care physician who sees 40 to 60 patients a day. How does that apply with regards to Kaiser Permanente? We do, like they're talking about messages and emails with OTN. We do text patients back and forth for that. There are compensation models. So the system is really there. The question is, we, are, we feel like we can actually help in designing a model. So how much support are we gonna be able to get from you guys? Well, I'm, as, as I say, I'm at large now, but I, I would say you're you're, getting, you're just a citizen. You're getting lots of support. You know, I think the, uh, the ministries identified the OHTs and is, you know, encouraging people to develop their model. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And um, I had looked at uh, a system in New York where they had put out a number of integrated systems, and there were primary care-led systems. They weren't necessarily the majority. Uh, a lot of the leadership does come out of the hospital, but I would certainly like to see the OHTs try different models. Uh, I don't think they should all be the same. So, I mean, I'm, you know, your model sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm you know, aware of other ones in the area too. So, I think it really, um, once, once we start looking at the community, we start tailoring how we deliver care based on the community, then it's all gonna make the job of primary care and our health service providers so much uh, easier in a way. Hey Susan, uh, Sean Kerr, Trillium Health Partners. I finally get to ask you a question in public. Uh, first, I wanna say thank you. Uh, I've had a chance to work with you for over 10 years on a number of different things that you talked about today and I've seen who you are as a leader and as a person and, and you've dedicated your career to public service and I think that is very, very important and I know a lot of people have had a chance to get to work with you and you know I've seen you be driven by how do we drive results that are positive for people with uh, a healthy irritation with inaction. Um, <laughs> And so I want to say thank you because I think that's really important and I think it's great that we've been able to benefit as a province from, from your leadership over many years. Uh, there you go. Round of applause. Thank you, Sean. And, and now the really tough question. Yeah. <laughs>
So, so you, you talked a lot about uh, different enablers to integration, uh, different tools have been put in place to, uh, whether that's facilitate QBPs or bundled care or, you know, through structure or funding or IT, there's lots of different tools that can facilitate integration. So you have a magic wand, you get to choose one tool that you would put in place you are at large, as you told us earlier. So there's zero political repercussions from what tool you put in place. What is, what is that tool and why? Well, I mean, I, I, I think I've, uh, I've indicated that, but I would probably um, say there would be two things. Good. I know, but I, I'm changing it. Um, I think the, the population health piece absolutely needs to continue to be developed. And I know people are a bit cautious because they go like, we don't really even have health care figured out. And now you're, you know, wanting to extend it into something that's much more complicated. And I did uh, reread a report on uh, integration of health and social services that came out of the UK. And when I was rereading it, I was struck by how critical it was. You know, they said it really isn't working, but it really um, demonstrated to me how complicated that's going to be, but are we ready to start to take that on and have really meaningful relationships with cities and municipalities and public health? I would say I think Hamilton is probably one of the furthest advanced in those relationships. Uh, Ottawa, we had did some great work in Toronto, and there's going to be many more. So that is work I would like to really see continue in a major way. Uh, but the other piece, if I did have a magic wand, is I would really like to see something significant be done on the digital. I just think that that is, you know, the next piece when I was looking over everything we've done, and I wanted to say, well, what have I actually done that would advance the digital agenda? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we did work on uh, getting the EMRs in for mm -hmm. physicians. Uh, we tried to kind of coordinate the, uh, the uh, EMR system for the CHCs. Uh, but yet I think, you know, it's been, uh, it's, been very, uh, it's been very minor progress. In the TC Lynn, we did actually ask our health service providers in the accountability agreements to say, you know, get the e-notification, uh, get your hospital uh, HRM reports, get all of that hooked up because, you know, five years ago even that was not all connecting. But the magic wand would be, even if there's, you know, thousands of systems in the background that they all actually have to contribute to something that can be uh, integrated and provided to patients and providers. I, I love your not willing to accept the premise that there is one thing. And I think every system that has failed, every solution that has failed has been focused on one system, whether it's IT or structure or funding. It's all of that it's integrated of together. And you, have to re you have to see it as a package. Hi, Christina German, Kai High Digital Innovation, and also one of Brian's students. Uh, just kind of carrying on the theme of digital innovation and digital enablement, what are the major, I guess, opportunities that you could sort of see for the future for digital enablement in any of our systems, in any of our hospitals, in any of our organizations? Like, what would you say would be some real opportunities that well, we could Well, I would pursue? actually say it's not any of our hospitals isn't the question, because the hospitals have digital uh, what would be really great in the OHTs is to make sure that all the providers do. 
So, you know, there was a real struggle with some of the small providers to put in the community mental health, the community social services, um, to put all that data. And some of them saying, you know, we don't have even have uh, computers or laptops, let alone IT people that can, you know, bring all this data. So, you know, a measurement of success would be to say that every health service provider within an OHT is fully connected to a digital record and can access that. Because we're, we're nowhere near that. Uh, with that, thank you, Susan. Thank you, Brian. So as you're packing up, our next breakfast of the Chiefs, the invitation will be coming out soon. It's going to uh, feature uh, Jennifer Zellmer from the Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement. Uh, so keep your eye out for that. Thank you very much and have a good morning.